0: After 32 years, I came out of the closet as a gay Christian pastor. Finally, on the outside of that suffocating prison, I'm looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. It's not enough to become informed. We have to do something about the harm we're still witnessing within systems and spaces we've been loyal to for so long. It's time we become reformers. All right, everyone, welcome back to Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Shiro. Got a special guest for you today. Listen, this conversation has been coming for a while. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with William for a minute, so I've got William Matthews with me today. Um, so exciting, William. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Listen, I want to firstly, real quick, just right out the gate, acknowledge we both were at Bethel for a while at the same time.
1: Who was? Who was <laughs> where? <laughs>
0: You know, the Bethel Church in Redding, California, I think you were a worship leader there for a while. Who were those people? I don't know. You were on stage like a lot while I was there. Who's that? Yeah, you were like this amazing anointed worship leader that, you know, just really moved the room. I mean, you were a significant part of my Bethel experience.
1: I'm sorry to say this, but I don't know who this man is. (laughs) I've never seen him before. Sorry to this man. I'm sorry.
0: Great. Great. That's great. (laughs) I
1: know. I just love throwing a wrench into your podcast. You're like, ah, you set it up so perfectly. And then I'm just like, ah, Uh, yeah, we were. And uh, I remembered you because you have the same mustache. Right. Just still iconic. Iconic. Like you were the iconic Mike with the mustache who worked in Bethel Media. I remember. (laughs) I used to see you in the offices all the time because your office was uh, right down from the Bethel Music office. Right.
0: That's true. Yeah. Nice. We had, we saw each other in different contexts. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, Willing people are hearing from you, at least in my world, probably for the first time in a while, I think that's probably true for a lot of them. So I guess I just want to give you an opportunity to just respond to some of the curiosity and questions they might have about like, okay, you were at Bethel. You're not anymore. Is there anything you'd care to like address about the Bethel experience before we just jump into the rest of this conversation?
1: No, cause it's really no, no one's business. <laughs> great <laughs> i hate
0: to say it but yeah, yeah. no that's great but sure. i was there
1: and i'm not so and i'm now i'm here talking to you and i've done a lot of uh, other stuff too so, yeah
0: I, people seem I'm to not. if your name comes up they seem to recognize you from either bethel like bethel music the liturgists or new abbey church right was that a journey are you like is this
1: you know i've had very many phases and iterations uh of of my life and my spiritual journey and um, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm joking a lot, but like, I, I really am thankful for each iteration because each one taught me a lot of significant things, taught me significant things about myself, about the ways of the world, taught me about how to uh, listen to myself and the voice of God on the inside of me. Uh, everything has given me keys and tools mm-hmm. that I've still since used. So I'm always grateful to every iteration. You know, I feel like I've been you know, the the phrase is deconstructing, reconstructing that everyone uses now, but I feel like I've been doing that since I was seven years old. Um, I've always had to unlearn and relearn. Um, My my parents were, uh, I grew up in a very strong denominational presence, Church of God, and uh, I had to deconstruct that in my teenage years because my father was a pastor and we went through a church split, and that in and of itself was like, well, who is God outside of this denomination that not only I spent my whole life in, but my dad spent his whole life in my granddad spent most of his life in as a minister, like some third generation ministry. And so I, I really feel like I've been deconstructing from a very young age, um, so to speak. And so every iteration of my life has constantly been learning, unlearning, learning again, getting a little certainty having, you know, as a, uh, I think it's Zora Hursting who used to say some years you have questions and some years you have the answer, right? Like it's going to be both and. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, all those have been incredible for what they were. Um, and. Now I'm here. Yeah. Nice. And I, I actually feel like who I am today is because of all those previous versions of William kind of coming together into one and, you know, and, and fighting for himself and choosing for himself. And, uh, making his own way in the world, which yeah. as a church kid that grew up in a very heavily religiously controlled environment, you, you know, that's huge. Mm. Any one of us that, get, that gets free and can stay free and can actually like, I always say like, I felt like I was Kimmy Schmidt. You know, remember that TV show, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt?
0: I never uh, watched it, but I know the name.
1: Yeah. It was about this woman who was in a religious cult and li- the the minister had all these women in a bunker underground for like 10 years or something <laughs> and he had convinced them that the world had been like blown up and it was nuclear holocaust <laughs> and so the first episode is them being like rescued by the fbi <laughs> and then she like moves to new york city but she literally is like a stunted like teenager effectively right and so it's about her learning who she is in the world uh in this big city and it's a goofy comedy tina faye wrote it uh uh with i think it's robert robert carlock wrote it too created it and uh, I felt like that was such an analogy of my religious upbringing because I felt like mm. I grew up in a bunker and I kept finding other bunkers thinking that they were freedom, but they were really just like one step higher and mm. then maybe another step higher. But I'm still underground. I'm wow. still not free. And then I finally, it was like, finally, the, the light of day just came and snatched me up. And I was like, ah, there it is. I found it. I found myself. I found the thing I've been, because I've been searching for it and I didn't fully, know. I knew, I knew I was searching for freedom, mm. but I didn't know what that freedom looked like until I found it. And then when I found it, I said, oh, this is what it means to be free, to be alive, to be purposeful to to respond to the actual calling on your life and not what everyone's placing on to you wow and, and and also just going on with the flow of what other people were saying and doing because you you wanted to be right i want to be saved i want to go to heaven i want it to be in the number i want it to be the remnant you know the hundred forty four thousand. I that was whatever you called it you know in any iteration there was a different name for it but it was all the same yeah. <laughs> and then once i actually realized that none of that matters that I'm, I, I have inherent dignity and worth and value, um, regardless, and that heaven and hell is not the choice in front of me. <laughs> wow, opened up, everything opened up, I opened up, and yeah, here I am today. I love that.
0: Oh God, I love it. So good. Okay, so general question: What are you doing now? What are you up to? That is the the the,
1: the quintessential question. I probably get asked like, "What do you do with your life?" <laughs> Like, well, I wrote a few hit songs. So that helps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I still do music. Uh, sometimes uh, the pandemic really kind of, I lost my creativity there for a minute. Um, actually, I was just talking uh, a few months back with John Mark McMillan about this. And and he was talking about refinding himself after, you know, after like sheltering in place and, and the whole like, isolative thing that him you know him and his family and Sarah they had to do and he was talking about he's like I had to get my confidence back and I I've, I know that journey between albums like I've always had this um sense that you know who I am now is not who, I'll, who, I'll, who I am now is not who I will always be and because of that I know that the journey is going to look different in this next iteration. And so albums were always like that. I had to like always refine myself a little bit, but then the pandemic kind of shook that up in a really big way. So I couldn't write for like a year. I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know what was anything. The world just felt different. And I've really been wrestling with that. And um, one of the things I decided to do, which actually helped me recenter myself, was I decided to work for a church called New Abbey. And I had actually known of New Abbey for a lot of years. Um, I'd been going to conferences. They had done a lot of us stuff with Rob Bell and Pete Rollins back in the day here in LA. And so I always I knew them and they had me come speak once with Science Mike uh, from the Liturgist podcast. We came and did a Sunday there and it was really great. And uh, so I had this relationship. They'd always say, hey, come sing something. And they weren't really big on music, but they really, every now and again, they're like, we need somebody to come sing something. So I was like, yeah, I like you guys. I'll come. And eventually they were like you want to work here? And I said, yeah. (laughs) Like it really was that simple. (laughs) I had actually been interviewing at another church because I I really decided that I missed, after taking a six-year break from church, I had missed church. Mm -hmm. And I miss putting my hands to something that felt very on the ground and tangible. And anyone that does church work or has done church work knows how real that can be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not all like, you know, sitting in cushy offices all day, right? Like it's, you know, church work is is on the ground with people, real real Mm -hmm. church work. Right. Um, yeah. I know because my 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 dad and my aunt, my uncles, like they are real pastors, like neighborhood church pastors. Like I grew up in a neighborhood black church, like not trying to be on web streams and TV. Um, so I know that real work of hospital visits and 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 pastoring people. And so anyway, New Abbey basically was like, Hey, would you wanna create a music department here? And I said, Yeah, it'd be a fun project. And it would be something to kind of get my mind off myself. And also this kind of like, I turned so introverted during the pandemic and really been focusing on me. And I didn't like that. I really wanted to do something out in the world again um, and not just stay cloistered up in my house, um, afraid of the world.
0: Yeah, totally. Man, that whole confidence thing after the pandemic was such a, a ride for any of us, I think, having to recover that for yeah, sure. Yeah, like
1: With your careers, especially people that travel and do creative stuff and depended on like conferences or speaking and like the things like selling books or whatever the thing is, those of us that didn't work a traditional nine to five that we could sit on Zoom with just felt like, who am I outside of this itinerant, what we used to call itinerant ministry, yeah, Yeah. this itinerant ministry world. And I felt, I don't know, I feel wonderfully different after the pandemic and also still feel like the core part of me is still there, but I feel more focused. I feel freer, I feel happier now. Um, and part of that was putting my hands to something to actually help the world. Yeah, for
0: sure. That's awesome. Very cool. I visited your church a few months ago when I was in LA and so cool, such a cool. Well,
1: speak of, speak of somebody who's had like, who's, who's been a butterfly who has come out of his cocoon. I mean, you were and now you are just this blossoming full-grown gay in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a gaby it oh, We got a There's another one. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet.
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. That's for for sure. Post pandemic, my I life felt- has been very like transformative and different in such important ways, for sure. Well, that's and that's
1: what I like, felt when I saw you. I was yeah. like, oh, another one. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride. And so, like part of the reason I wanted you to come on here is um New Abbey is an affirming church. Um, they welcome LGBTQ plus people, not just like tolerate, put up with, allow. Like there's a there was I was there on a Pride weekend in LA. And so there was like a, a strong presence and message of of affirmation and like celebration of the queer community. And it was so beautiful to be part of and witness and then you led worship and it was so cool and like kind of surreal to hear that voice in this context when the last time I was (laughs) in this situation was at Bethel right that was such a wild experience for me um but I did want to talk about like um your perspective and experience on like integrating the queer community into the church environment and just kind of speaking to the clash because some a lot of queer people I know just have to get the hell out have to just leave right like walk out of church entirely walk away from religion it just doesn't work there's not a reconciliation for them or there's like a longing and a a pain from it all but you're actively part of a a church community and ministering in that context where queer people are engaged in their Christianity and you know following Jesus and all that so I wanted to open up the conversation in all the directions it can go of your perspective and experience on the church as it pertains to the queer community
1: wow yeah i mean you, when you write it out like that it just sounds so epic but <laughs> but i just love people i've mm-hmm. always loved people i've been a people person um and i love people of all different types and stripes i have atheist friends i have pagan friends i have you know my friend jamie lee finch she used to call herself a sex witch i don't know i don't think she does anymore but <laughs> i used to say i have a sex witch friend <laughs> Like. <laughs> You know, like I just love people and I I have agnostic friends and I have friends of all different types of Christianity and and Protestantism and Catholicism. And I've always just felt like the body of Christ was bigger than many of the barriers we put on it. And so it's funny that we even have to label something like a church that is a affirming (laughs) because it's just a word that means like you're just saying you're celebrating and saying yes to something which you're just saying yes to something that does exist in the Mm -hmm. world like i don't know why we think gay people don't exist in the world or or queer people don't exist or i think the church pretends they don't exist but they've always existed Mm -hmm. and they've always been there and they've written some of the best music and they've preached some of the best sermons and they prophesied some of the best prophetic words and they've been doing it longer than evangelicalism has been alive and so Being at like a church like New Abbey feels on surface feels countercultural to whatever is popular in the Christian space. But, you know, I think queer people have always been here and they will always be here. And our church is really kind of almost split exactly 50-50, you know, probably heterosexual, the heterosexuals and the the homosexuals. They sit in a pew together and they (laughs) sing together and it's just so, you know, like, even these labels and categories, like it's it's so ridiculous, but I'm like, these are people and we're people of all different stripes and, and ethnicities. It's not to erase the differentiation. It's just to say the differentiation is simply the starting point. And that's what I love about New Abbey as a church is we don't overemphasize differentiation. We celebrate the differentiation because we recognize that in, your, in our differences, there's a sameness, that we can be a very different race, class, sex, and actually have such similar experiences in the world or have such... Of the same spiritual longings and yearnings, or human longings and yearnings, and how do we talk about that? How do we create a space for like the beloved community, as Martin Luther King would call it? How do we create this beloved community where doesn't it really does not matter what how you identify, but that you are just a beloved child of God and that you're part of this greater thing God is building in the universe? Mm -hmm. And what a joy! Like that is the message. That is good news to me. Anything else just feels like like. Uh, just policing and gatekeeping and controlling and coercing and manipulating. And that feels like work. And I'm at the place in my life where I don't want to work anymore. So I'm like, I don't care who you are. You can come sit in this church. You can pray. You can sing. You can hold the, you know, communion tray. You can do the bread and wine. You can recite a poem. I don't know. Whatever. Like, you belong. You matter. You're good. (laughs) And I want to curate spaces for that. And it doesn't matter. We have this thing called unity prayer we do. We're like, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or independent, you matter. Like we do, it's a prayer at the beginning of the service that says, you belong here. You have space here. We might disagree about some things, right? <laughs> like, you know, but you belong here and let's let's talk it out. Let's like wrestle through this together, actually. You know, and I feel like in the conservative spaces, um, oftentimes white evangelical spaces, to be perfectly honest, uh, there was often this tendency of performative, progressive language where it's like all are welcome here and you know we 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 ask people their opinions and and if you have a problem just come talk to leadership and you know all these like things that sound good but actually aren't good because people are more most likely silenced right people are most likely um denied their voice not amplified and so i i just don't want to be a part of anything that remotely feels like that um also, I'm a universalist and I kind of have been for like 15 years. Spoiler alert, people are like, oh, you just had a recent transformation. I'm like, no, I was like, the whole time I was like leading worship, like traveling the world, I did not believe in hell. So, I and I would, I would tell people actually, I was never even ashamed of it. It wasn't even a secret. Lots of people knew, <laughs> you know? I just was, I, I just like, I can't imagine a good God punishing people for eternity. And I kind of wrestled with that, like I said, like a long time ago. So probably back in like, the mid-2000s so by then I was just like I'm good you know wow
0: William every time I talk to you or like even just hear you speaking on a microphone even this thing comes out of you I don't even know what it is uh you know back at Bethel I would have had very specific terminology for what I would have assumed was going on but now I'm just like wow I it, but it keeps being a recurring experience for me there's just like a I don't know like a depth and a, a sound about what where you're coming from where you're pulling from I guess Um, And you mentioned like a little bit earlier, we just kind of skirted past this, but you were like, Oh, I found my true calling versus what people were trying to put on me. And I, this is not necessarily relevant to (laughs) what I was asking you to come here to talk about, but I can't pass up the opportunity. I want to ask you, would you care to expound a little bit more on what you meant when you said that?
1: Yeah. My true calling, my true calling is to listen to that inner voice and to respond. Hmm. You know, we used to have language for it back in, uh, when I used to be on staff at IHOP in Kansas City, we used to call it a, uh, you know, a friend of the bridegroom, you know, will stand and, and hear the voice of the bridegroom, right? I think well, it was actually a scripture, it's not, you know, IHOP wasn't unique in that, but like the bridegroom stands, you know, the 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 friend of the bridegroom stands and listens. Like, to be somebody's friend, to be a friend of God is to listen, to listen to what reality is speaking to us, to listen to what nature is saying, to listen to the people around us. Um, I've always just been at my core, I think a deep listener and observer. And I think maybe that's the thing that you sense and feel in that deep place inside of me is like I've I've always kind of identified with more of the mystic tradition of Christianity Mm -hmm. and just been very like drawn to those types of experiences, mainly because the point of them is to just acknowledge and accept what's what's right in front of you, that God is with you, God is in you. And God is in that other person too. Mm. And and that type of like communion with everything that is, I've always just, that's been my spirituality at its very core. And if it looks like Sufism, if it looks like, you know, Buddhism a little bit, like, right, like there's practices that help us and Christian practices, right? That help Mm. us come to that realization that at the core of everything is love. And so my true calling is to love. Mm. It really is to love. And not in the way that we used to talk about love. And you know, in the very specific ways we used to talk about love. (laughs) Those types of loves had so much agenda and so much like coercion and conditions, so much like, yeah. condi- conditions, right? You know, do you remember that movie, Coco? You, when you said that, it reminded me of that movie, Coco. Um, mm-hmm. That little boy wanted to play music, but his family wouldn't let him. And all he wanted was his family's blessing without condition, right? And they couldn't give it to him. And then by the end of the film, spoiler alert, by the end of this film, his grandmother, right, like this boy had to like die and like and go to the land of the dead, right, and they and his family had to come after him. And by the very end, his family was like, "I give you my blessing without condition." And I feel like so many of us church kids, in particular, like we went to these ministry schools and these churches, or we church hopped, or you know, just did all these different things because we really were just looking for that affirmation that says I matter and I matter to God and I also matter to humanity mm. and. And to actually find rest and peace in that. Mm. And, and what we wanted was the, the mothers and fathers to offer their blessing without conditions. And unfortunately, they gave us a lot of their baggage and they gave us a lot of their trauma. And they gave us a lot of their, they projected a lot of their inadequacy and insecurity onto us. And then we internalized it and made it about something's wrong with me. When really, no, nothing is wrong with you, beloved, you're loved. And they're loved. And all we have to do is commune with that love to with one another. And I struggle with that like it's I, I say that and I don't say it easy because I don't think it is easy love is not easy. Um, I'm convinced the narrow gate in in the, in the scripture is not the, the, the gate of inclusion exclusion, but it's the gate of inclusion, I actually think being inclusive is the hardest thing to do because we're naturally wired and programmed to be binary and to be exclusive and there's something about like, because to, to me, when you go through Matthew 4, 4 5, 6, and seven, and you get to that passage about the narrow gate, it's one sermon. So the beginning is blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, right? And then you get to this whole thing where Jesus is basically saying those who are doing the inclusive thing—that's the kingdom thing—and guess what? It's the narrow gate, and few will find it. That's where it's—it's it's one progression, and we—we we broke it up, and made it—you know—we twisted it, and and I really believe that our our the mothers and fathers of faith gave us this twisted distorted version of the gospel that was built around protecting the in group when the real call of the gospel was was see the world around you and acknowledge the divinity and the christ of everything around you because you see the the, the man on the street he's like you know you, you give food to the man on the street he's like you do it as unto me you're doing it as unto me you give clothes to the to the homeless you're doing it as unto me and i think it's that reality that was so hidden and and submerged and covered. And I think we're starting to reclaim that, you know, and and pick back up that true calling, that true mantle of who we're called to be as humans. Like like St. Irenaeus says, the glory of God is the the human being fully alive. I wanna be fully alive. That's it for me. I just wanna be fully alive. And that means basking in pleasure God's pleasure, the the pleasure I find in the little things in life, the pleasure of being around friends and a good meal and, and wine and, and fellowship and, you know, throwing light shade or whatever that is, right? Like that is, that's God. Mm -hmm. And I found that I found it. And now I will zealously earnestly protect that. And even New Abbey is a space like that where I was like, I will zealously, earnestly protect this little thing because it's a narrow gate and a few find it and everyone wants to destroy it. They want to conform it to the ways of the world, the wicked ways of the world, the evil ways of the world that 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 try to dehumanize and take dignity away from all of God's creatures. And um I want to, I want to protect zealously that beloved community, because I believe that's, that's the, that's the the seed that goes into the ground, that, that that's the kingdom that's going to blossom. That's the thing that's going to permeate the earth. And I still believe in a hopeful, victorious sort of eschatology, right? Where I'm like, this thing is headed somewhere. This has a telos and we're, we're going somewhere. And I do think it's good. I really do think it's good.
0: Wow. Wow. I love that. Thank you. That was beautiful. You did it again. Um, I love that, my goodness. Hi, quick little commercial break. Over here in my world, there was a phrase that came up out of my work and my writing that felt like it encapsulated exactly what I was trying to say to my evangelical background as a queer person, and it was that I matter more than your theology. So we made a sticker so people in the world could have this phrase in their life too, specifically queer people, right? But we also made an ally sticker. You matter more than my theology. Um, So we're selling these stickers, and 100% of the proceeds go to funding either coaching or mentorship groups or facilitated conversations with queer people who are particularly recovering from religious trauma and evangelical backgrounds. So if you want to buy one of these stickers, you are helping us do that, provide either discounts or full-on scholarships for queer people to get access to our services because sometimes finances are a barrier and I still need to be able to pay my team, so this helps us find a way around that. And then also, people were requesting a shirt, guess what? We made a shirt! Look at this shirt, you matter more than my theology! So these shirts are just now available. If you want to go check those out, um, the link in my bio, those are linked below this episode as well to find those. Fund our work, we appreciate it. Um, I have a weird question. I did not have this in my mind when I invited you here, but I, I want to ask it, what? would you say, because I've had many, since I have come out publicly, I've had many people from BSSN, like alumni or whatever, come to me, come out who? to me. Who um, people who said that? <laughs> yeah. In um, <laughs> whatever reason, whether they're queer or like also just like, hey, I'm deconstructing, I don't believe this anymore, I've been harmed in this way or whatever, like just lots of people who've come to me post Bethel like kind of just needing to express like, thank you for what you're saying or what you're doing. I've needed this, uh, you know, whatever, just all this pain and spiral that's come from post Bethel Um, But I wanna pinpoint the queer people specifically in that context, because I think there are so many queer people that go to Bethel, right? That are BSSM students that go through that world. And I think queer people specifically are drawn to that environment because of, you know, whatever uniquely is going on there. And the irony is that Bethel is rejecting these people and what could have happened, like Bethel's doing the opposite, of what I'm convinced God would have them be doing with all these vulnerable queer people that show up. And so being somebody who had the microphone often and who had such what Bethel would say favor and spotlight and influence in that space, um, with the work you're doing now and the deconstruction and the transformation, all the things that you've experienced, what would you say to either Queer students who've survived Bethel and their posts, like putting their lives together, or students who are still there who are queer who are being told, "Hey, your sexual orientation is demonic, is evil, is broken. You need to change. You need to get healed." What would you say to those kids that Bethel wouldn't let you say from a stage component? You know what I mean?
1: Sure. And and just to qualify, I I I am very out of loops. (laughs) I don't actually know what's going on, so I would just take your word for everything you're saying um I'm just not like not attached <laughs> I don't I don't know what's going on in most of the Christian world to be honest and mm. just periods so uh, I know what I know from way back when okay. but I live a very different life now bro yeah um nice. so I would just say to anyone that feels like they have to hide who they are change who they are I would just say that your identity is not in the hands of some church, of some business. Hell, it's not even in the hands of any country or or nation. It's in your hands. And no one gets to tell you who you are. No one gets to tell you who they are. At best, they get to confirm what God has already shown you who you are. No one gets to tell you. So if you have to lessen yourself to be in any space, then maybe that space ain't for you. And I say that really gently and kindly because I have allowed myself to exist in so many spaces in my life that were very unkind to me, unkind to me because of the color of my skin, unkind to me for for vast reasons. It's kind of wild. Um, I had to eventually realize that my presence is a gift Mm. and those people were not worthy of the gift of who I was. And if anyone is in any situation where your presence is not acknowledged in the fullness as the gift that it is, and all of your beautiful human complexity, right? All of your differentiation, race, class, sex, gender, whatever, like, if that isn't acknowledged, seen, appreciated, listened to, then you are not being valued. And I would encourage anyone to find refuge within yourself First and foremost, and the God inside of you, and then to seek refuge spaces outside of yourself that simply confirm who you know God has made you to be. Wow,
0: beautiful. Yeah,
1: you have had to do that.
0: You've yeah, no, yeah, I totally agree.
1: I'm like, that's it's beautiful and so true because it's about love, Mike. Love does not like you know James Baldwin or Maya Angelou would talk about this all the time, and they're like. Sexual orientation is not dictated, can't be dictated by the church. It can't be dictated by the nation state, right? Like, because love can't be controlled. The nature of love is wild. Mm -hmm. People love people they shouldn't be loving all the time. (laughs) And it feels very hard to control. (laughs) They just, you know, like, sometimes you do got to put some boundaries on this. Like, sir, you are married. Sir, you're married. (laughs) <laughs> you love somebody i'm trying to love this other person you know like, there's no certain thing if that's i guess if you're monogamous I yeah mean, you, know, you gotta say that sometimes people everyone's people are open now but um no i mean that i kind of joking but like i mean that really like love can't be controlled it's wild it, it expands boundaries it crosses ethnic lines it crosses nationalistic lines it cross crosses sexual orientation lines love is wild and 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 it just can't be controlled. So don't give people the power to control who you are. If that's who you are and you know who you are, like if you're a woman, like, and you know that God has called you to preach and you're sitting in a a denomination or a church that won't pass the mic, you got to go because who God has put on the inside of you needs to come out and it needs to be acknowledged and seen. And also the, the love that you have to share on that mic needs to be expressed. Like I tell it to women all the time. I'm like, you have something to say. If you are not being heard, like leave that church. If you are being placed in a box, leave that box. I've had to leave so many boxes. Like I said, I grew up in a bunker. My whole, most of my adult life felt like I was just living in many different bunkers. And so I don't know if that makes sense. I just, I offer that. I offer this to all of you that love will lead you and it will guide you and it can't be controlled all you can do is go with the flow of it it's a river and and that you know as psalm 45 says right like there's a river whose streams make glad the city of our god the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high god like there is a river inside of you and it's the river of love flow with it and when you feel that resistance to love acknowledge it and 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 flow differently
0: wow come on i feel (laughs) like that song i'm feeling
1: that song uh, I said, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love, I'm not even saying the, the right, but like, that's what I feel on the inside, of like, love liberates, it lifts you up, wow. it it takes you, you know, love lifts us somewhere we belong, where the eagles fly from the mountain high, right? Like we know that feeling of love liberating and taking us higher and deeper. Like I wrote that song, Glory to Glory from that same place. So we're going from glory to glory. We're going higher and higher. Love is taking us further than we've ever been before. And it's breaking down all the boundaries that the world has created and the categories that exist that keep us apart. Wow. And love is like smashing all of those down. And 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 trying to and, the, and sometimes I feel like the church is just trying to control that river. It's like, sir, how do you you can't really control the river. You know, we try that all the time, and what happens? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it gets out of control. It floods. It just nature is in control, not us. And we have to. And that speaks not just physically. That's that's our nature, our divine nature, our human nature. Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, give ourselves permission. Sorry, I feel like I'm super meta right now. I should I should probably come back down there.
0: No, please don't stay up there. I love it. It's so good.
1: Lovely dress up where we I'm sitting there singing like old eighty songs. <laughs> no, I it love like, it. She's coming to me. I was like, I forgot about these songs, but they were so like monumental to me because they they're universal for a reason. Because they speak to the d- deepest parts of who we are, mm. and it's deeper than any doctrinal congregational worship song to me. Mm. It just is because love is
0: Mm. yeah it's so good i love that um you did say something earlier that i wanted to ask for you to expound on because it's so true and i did not know this until i went on my coming out journey you said um you need to find refuge in yourself first right and then obviously like seeking environments that will also refuge you in the ways that you need that's so true it was a hard lesson I had to learn coming out was one of the most visceral versions of that lesson that I ever had to learn was I needed to stop co-conspiring in my own diminishment and then that informed the kinds of people and environments that I would even allow myself to participate in or be affected by because I'd spent my whole life accepting the closet that was marginalizing and silencing me and killing me Uh, And so that was like a hard lesson to learn. It was so grievous and there was so much pain and sorrow that came with it, but because I had to lose a lot in order to actually choose me. So I'm just curious if you have any further thoughts to share on like, you know, what does that look like and how did you connect to that? And, you know, what are your thoughts on that journey of discovering you as a refuge? And for anyone who's listening, like, they're like, I don't even know how to do that. Or where to start, what does that look like? Any thoughts you'd have to share about that?
1: Man, there's, I mean, there's so many, like, that, the interior world is, is the, is the deeper world. Mm. I think in our current culture, we're losing the language of the interior world. The poets always knew it, though. Poets know Mm. it. Um, Artists know it. There's, there's a hidden world beneath the world that we see with our eyes, that lives on the inside of us. Jesus called it faith like a mustard seed. It's planted deep inside of you and it grows and it comes through meditation, contemplation. It comes through taking a step back and not being constantly in reaction to everything around you, which is huge. And so much of our culture is reactive culture. Our politics are just purely reactive, you know, and like a ping pong going back and forth. Um, and we, we get caught up, I get caught up in it, you know, and, but like, it just is the nature of the beast right now. And what it's doing to us is it's eroding our sense of silence, our sense of quiet, our sense of peace, our sense of, uh, you know, Teresa Vela called it this, the interior castles. <laughs> like inside, I think of it like sometimes imaginary like that, like there's a castle inside of me, a home, a refuge, a space where I actually just get to, I'm accepted here. I don't have to strive here. I don't have to be perfect, I don't have to conform to capitalism here, I don't have to be subjected to someone's microaggressions here. Whatever that thing is, or someone's bigotry or homophobia or sexism or noir, like all those things that we can name so brilliantly, thank you Karl Marx and different ones, right, and all these people who have done tremendous work to help us name systems of power and oppression and how that works. Um, But naming them is not the goal it's just knowing what you're retreating from. I need to know how homophobia is, is, you know, targeting me so that I can find a source to, to tap into myself, to feel full again. Right. I need to know how anti-Blackness works in the world so I can actually know what fills me up. (laughs) Does that make sense? Like, you know, Jesus said, you know, be, uh, you know, innocent as doves, wise as serpents. And, I do think we're losing that interior world, though, like that internal reality has to become so much stronger than the external world around us. And we have to learn to put language to it and to name it and to hold space for ourselves. Like Iyanla Van Zant says, uh, um, you are the representative of God in your life. How you treat you is how you treat God. So self-care is not just some sentimental millennial thing. Self-care is spiritual. It's spiritual work. Self-care for me lately has actually looked like something very practical, moisturizing. Your boy got dry skin. I do. And I didn't always moisturize through the years. You probably could see it through some of those old Bethel videos. (laughs) But (laughs) Taking care of myself through like, literally I will like every evening. I just like, right, like either right before or after dinner. Um, I usually like eat around five. I just create these little rhythms for myself. I literally take a, take a shower and then I layer myself with like different moisture like oils and what I'm doing is actually creating embodiment for myself wow I'm actually treating my skin well Mm. because this is the skin that God lives in my body is a temple my body's a temple and doing that literally it brings so much peace to the anxiousness of my own heart and mind just sitting there like literally rubbing (laughs) like lotion or oils and different things that I get like it feels so good. And I feel good. And I feel like, oh, I matter. And we have to figure out ways and be very subversive in this current culture to find ways in which we can matter. Mm. And it can be so practical. It doesn't have to be super deep. You don't have to sit there and go on a, you know, a 40-day fast. And if, you know, if you, some people could do that stuff, right? Like some people, that's the doorway for them. You don't have to, you know, go on a site, you know, a, a meditation retreat with Ram Dass, right? Like you can <laughs> You can find that in very simple, practical ways exactly where you are. God can meet you right there. And I think that's that's what we need right now. at least that's what I need. I can only tell you what I got. Um I need it, right? Like I need to know how sexism works in the world, you know, because it affects me, right? It affects my sisters. Um, it affects so many people. and and i want I want to support them, but I also like, we all got to do that work individually to like affirm ourselves. And then I just get to be the yes and the amen to anyone. I just get to be the, you know, I used to feel like when we lead worship uh, back in the day, and I think I still do this. Um, I used to, me and a, uh, me and Stephanie used to say this all the time, or I used to say it to Stephanie all the time. I'm like, you know, we'd have a good worship set or what was we call a good worship set. And I was like, I feel like I'm just writing a permission slip. <laughs> you get to be free. You have permission to love wholeheartedly. You have permission to dance in this moment. You have permission to sit in silence. You have permission to breathe deeply like you haven't breathed in a long time. And I think as a worship leader, I always had that understanding that we are just allowing people the space to release something that they're holding on to. So much of our life we're just holding. And I just want to get into that river and that flow of love and releasing, constantly releasing. But you have to have an interior world to do that. To, to know what's coming up for you to what's coming against you, what's coming up inside of you, how that's triggering you and then how to heal that thing, how to actually like put a balm on it. And I don't know, I think we need more balms for our soul and, you know, and doom scrolling is not it. <laughs> it is a well that will run dry as boys to men would say, <laughs> let's go wait till the water runs dry. <laughs> nice. Totally. Please don't doom scroll, please save your life. <laughs> <laughs> Like, seriously, we got to, we got to, we got to find ways to nourish ourselves. And then, you know, then we can actually find ways to nourish others in the world and be a healing presence. Totally. So good. So true.
0: Okay. I've got one more question for you before we land this thing through your process and all the things that have changed and shifted and that you've had to fight for and all that what's caused you to like, keep God, keep the Bible, keep church, like, (laughs) How oh, yeah. how did you get to where you are now with everything you've gone through and still have that intact? I think a lot of people would be curious about like, you know, that seems unique in a lot of the spaces that you've had to go through and run in.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I told you, I've been in some type of... <laughs> Uh, death, burial, and resurrection. My entire life. I actually think those, that's a better phrase uh, than deconstruction, reconstruction, because it's such a weird. It's a weird thing. I understood when Roar was using it and how it got popular, but it really, the word that he was using was reordering and uh, disorder and reorder. That was actually the, the original language, and then it became deconstruction, reconstruction. But I actually, almost like that one better de- reorder, disorder. But for me, I've always been in these cycles of like angry with God, <laughs> frustrated because life's not working out the way I thought it should, or I'm not getting the respect that I deserve, or my ego is bruised, or somebody really did victimize me, or, or really hurt me, and I'm traumatized, and 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 then somehow, like, I've got to pull myself up, because the alternative, at least for me, was always death, right, like, anyone that's actually really wrestled to any level of suicidal ideation, you understand, it's like, I either have to, like, find some tools to figure out how to do this. Maybe I need to get some, be you know, get on some medication. Maybe I need to see a therapist or all the things and above, right? Like whatever that thing is, you know, I have to choose to live because the pain is so much. And I feel like I've gone through so many things in my life that have been so painful, like so many of us. And I've always had to learn how to find the tools to liberate myself and bring healing. And that was just something I had to learn at a very young age. So for me, God was always just the language of my own internal process. If that makes sense, mm. just to connect that point for you, like so, it's it was it's less the doctrinal stances and the creeds and the like the things that we all cling to. Like those are like those are the train wheels on the bike. <laughs> you kind of maybe need them if you're trying to figure out how to get steady on this, you're not flopping all over the place and, you know, going from this wind of doctrine to this wind and this, you know, like being blown all over the place. You need some little training wheels, but once you got, you know, once you got the hang of it, you take those training wheels off, baby, because life is actually like, life is right at your door. God is there and God will speak to you and will show you. And, and that energy can look through many different religious traditions. I'm not even claiming Christianity is the main one that has to come through. I'm just saying whatever tradition that is, cling to it, cling to the best parts of it, find the core roots of it, because it's always love. And so for me, why God? God still matters as a language center because it's the process of my internal journey, but also it's the dominant part. Like every human heart is asking that question, is there a God, right? Every human being on planet Earth has at least wondered, right? I don't know if we get to escape that, you know? Atheism tries, but atheism still addresses it in its own way. It's still talking about God, you know, one way or another. It's still (laughs) concerned with the problem of God. Mm. We are all concerned with the problem of God. So why don't why don't I have a God who is liberating, a God who is freeing, a God who is holistic? A God that's my definition of holiness. Wholeness. It's wholeness, like that. I believe in the holiness of God because I believe that that this world is held together in in parts and wholes, (laughs) and Mm. it's interconnected and it's weaved, you know. So. I would say intellectually, if you're looking for actual, you know, rigor around why you should believe in God, I would highly recommend, you know, the work of James Cone and Black Liberation Theology, Um, Gutierrez, um, who is, I think, the originator of Liberation Theology in South America. uh, His work, I'd highly recommend. So any Liberation Theology work, even if that's queer Liberation Theology, there's there's people doing that work. Um, I'd also recommend um, anthropologically, literary speaking, uh, Rene Girard was a big Um, thinker for me, who helped me uh, understand what actually makes the Christian text unique in the world, because it unmasks the scapegoat mechanism, uh, the the violence at work in the world. And the the Jewish texts and the Christian texts are one of the only pieces of world literature at that time that literally, uh, like, gives voice to the victim, and then unmasks these systems of oppression <laughs> that victimize people in the world, right? It's And that's why, to me, Christianity was so powerful, and, and it's still so powerful, because we live in a very Christ, a Christ-centric a world, because if you care for victims, you got that because that is actually a revelation <laughs> from, the, from Judaism into Christianity. And so Rene Girard really helped me co- connect some of those dots intellectually. I highly recommend his reader. You could start there, or I, I love the book Violence and the Sacred. Um, and he talks about collectivist violence and and its roots in religious violence. and it's it's, it's super deep. Uh, and then I'd also recommend from a mystic perspective, um uh, we love Father Richard Rohr, of course. but i would I would start maybe with poets, start reading poets, find that language of the soul again. You know, we don't we're not a generation outside of songwriting. We don't think of, about poetry a lot, but poetry reading poetry out loud, finding pacing and rhythm and and exploring that internal language. So like Maya Angelou, you know, Audre Lorde, um, right? Like find John O'Donohue is a good one. Um, he's a, he's a, a Celtic-Irish poet, um, you know, whatever the tradition is, like find it through different traditions, find it from indigenous folks and black folks and and Latin America and even some Western thinkers, like it's it all belongs. So um, yeah, nice. I would say that's why God still matters to me because I realized God is a conversation that everyone on planet earth is having. And I'm just so curious about that conversation. And I don't think I can escape it no matter how hard I try. Yeah, totally. Nice, <laughs> so good. That's awesome.
0: Okay, so William, for people who are like, "Hey, I want more of this guy. Where this is coming from? What's going on in his world? What do you got going on? How do, should people follow you somewhere? Do you have some projects coming up they should be aware of? Like, what do you what are what are you up to now that people should know about?"
1: Yeah, I got I got some irons in the fire. I'm a creative. Um, I would definitely say like probably the best way to bless me is like follow me on Spotify. Like, I know people don't even say that. They mostly say, go to my Instagram. I'm like, no, go follow me on Spotify, because that actually matters. (laughs) Uh, And Apple Music, right? Like, whatever your streamer is, like, Mm. like, download my music. And that's the best way to, like, financially support me, as well as, like, tell your friends about it. And yes, I'm on all the socials, but, like, yeah I've, i'm working on new music um i'm working at new abbey so if you live in la or know anyone who lives in la have them come through new abbey and just check us out we're always there doing the grind um i love our team and we do it with a lot of joy and a lot of a lot of we curate a lot of peace in our space and i that matters to me and that's why i do it so yeah follow me there social media instagram twitter just look up william matthews you'll be like okay the black guy and there he is <laughs> whatever and then yeah i got i got I got projects coming out, but I I can't really say more other than some some new music and some other stuff that will definitely be coming out over the next year.
0: Ooh, so it's in twenty twenty three.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, your know, boy got big things on the horizon. I just they just can't say them quite yet because I just I'm the type that likes I'm like the I'm like Beyonce. I just like to go away and work, and then I kind of really pop back out and be like, oh yeah, here's this random documentary I made. Oh, <laughs> random album I created. Oh, here's this. Podcast show that I just randomly came up with and just did the whole thing, right? Like whatever the thing is, I I just like doing the work. You know, Beyonce's like, be about that work. I'm like, all right, girl, I'm gonna be about that work. So (laughs) I take joy always in the process more than than the exposure and the release of it, but it matters, so please support.
0: Yeah, love it. That's awesome. Thank you.
1: I'm excited. That's so cool. So that's good to know. Thank you. Also, can I just say real quick before we're done, how proud of I am? Oh, You don't need my approval at all, but I just want to say I'm proud of your journey and your honesty. And your ability to just call shit out, but also like remain open and kind and loving, right? Like both matter. Like we need both energies, you know, you need to tear some things down and you need to build some things up. And like, I remember when you went through all that stuff on Facebook and the way people were talking to you, the way people in certain places, even some people that we both mutually knew were talking to you. I tell you what, (laughs) I had to have one of those (laughs) moments, but you came through that. You, you not only came through it, you said, I'm going to take it and I'm going to like make it my armor. And now you can't do anything to me anymore. Right. And now you pissed me off so much. I'm going to actually deconstruct your whole argument for everything <laughs> for the rest of your lives. <laughs> you just like went for it and was just like, ah! you know, you became a gladiator in the space. Mm-hmm. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. And not everyone has to do that, but, but you, you knew you were strong enough to do it. And so I'm so proud of you knowing yourself, trusting yourself, and for having conversations like these, brave conversations like these, to um enlighten and open up people's perspectives. Cause uh they need it. And and a lot of people in five to ten years will be will be contacting you and saying, I'm sorry. Mm. I was wrong. I thought you were hype, I thought you were lying, I thought it was a false gospel, but actually I realize, and and that's that will come. It'll take time. I've I've experienced it here and there, but it'll take time. But some of those very people, they will be coming back to you because the 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 fruit of your life matters, Mike. And you have you are a person of good fruit. You've always borne good fruit, and it bleeds through everything you do. And and I'm happy you're doing this work in the world, and you didn't give up. So happy you didn't give up, mom. Wow.
0: Oh, thank you. Wow. I'm very honored and humbled. I appreciate that. Oh, um, shoot. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And William, thank you for doing this interview with me. I so appreciate just the poetry that is you expressing yourself. It's so beautiful and deep. Thank important. you. Yeah.
1: I appreciate it. Um, I, said, I, I haven't done podcasts in a while, so I kind of feel like a little scatterbrained, but like, I hope I was able to connect some threads for, for you and everyone else.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, it was so good. Thank you so much um so yeah everyone spotify apple music go find william matthews go follow him download support new music coming out this year so exciting william thanks for being here so cool um we'll see you guys next time yes thanks for watching i am a consultant coach so i don't know if everyone knows that but i offer services to help support people especially queer people working through their theology their christian background their evangelical upbringing Um, It's kind of my specialty, so I wanna make sure you know about that. Uh, I also have other coaches who work with me and work with my clients as well, so if you need support in that area, we are available. And then also we've got groups, um, facilitated mentorship groups, where conversation and community gets built, making your way forward. So if you're interested in any of that, there's a link below this episode, it's the first link, you can click on that for more information. Thanks for being here, I'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to dive deeper, check out MikeMayashiro.com.